Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fly on the Wall. My name is Austin. And I'm Chase. And this is Chase's first interview for The Fly, who is one of our new freshmen, and we're very excited to have him. And I'm very, very excited to be here. It is a beautiful day for an interview indoors. Um, it's a nice, crisp fall day out. Uh, Halloween's coming up. Austin, what's, uh, what's your best Halloween costume yet? I was Pablo from Backyardigans when I was little, if you know what that is. Yes. It's a penguin. That was my go-to Blue show. penguin, yes. That's awesome. That was my classic. Um, we had a great conversation with Joe Hack today, and we're very excited to share it with you guys. Joe Hack is one of our GU Politics Fall 2023 fellows. He is a Georgetown alum. He graduated in 09, so not that long ago. He is the former U.S. Senate Chief of Staff for... Deb Fisher, and now he's the CEO of Swan Street Consulting. I had a great conversation with Joe. Um, he is the youngest U.S. Senate Chief of Staff in history, um, and he's got a lot to say and a lot of good advice um, from young professionals uh, interested in getting involved in politics. Yes, he touched on taking on such a big responsibility at such a young age, his faith in the Senate as an institution, and some of his proudest accomplishments during his time, and we're very excited for you guys to listen. Thank you so much. Enjoy. spoke about the the emphasis on personality in the Republican Party right now, and that's something, I don't know if you caught, Mitt Romney came to Georgetown recently, and he spoke about a similar um, perceived issue. Uh, and it's also something that's very much on display right now uh, with the battle over House speakership. Um, so what do you say to voters who are maybe only exposed to that kind of clash of large personalities at a congressional level who might be frustrated with that? Well, politics is always about people. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about people, obviously, at the highest levels and, and who's leading. I think, frankly, what's gone on in the House is embarrassing. Um, and I think that voters will respond accordingly to that. Um, my hope is that they will get their act together um, hopefully very soon, um, and that we can get back to the business of governing, um, because that's what folks and voters expect us to be doing, and if you haven't noticed, the world is on fire, and there's a lot of crises, um, and I think when people look to the United States and see us in disarray, it's not exactly confidence-inspiring. Uh, whether you are looking as an ally or whether you are looking as an authoritarian, um, you know, pointing to the dysfunction of democracy and laughing away. Um, so I think it's, it's sort of a dangerous moment. It's not just an embarrassing one. Um, so I do hope they get things sorted. Um, but it's nothing new that there are scores to settle and bad blood between politicians. Um, I'm sure as students of history, you're both well aware of the caning that took place on the floor yeah. of the U.S. Senate, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. for the Civil War. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I do like to remind people of that, um, particularly young people. Um, we do live at a challenging moment, but the 1960s were no walk in the park either, nor yeah. the 1970s. Um, I think we, I was raised in the 90s at a time of relative peace and relative calm, um, but you know, our, our country's history, and as well, you know, the other thing I would remind you um, is that score settling and uh, tough politics <laughs> were the way of our founding fathers. 
right? If you remember the um, the anonymous letters they would write in, in newspapers back mm-hmm. in the day attacking one another, Hamilton and Madison and, and the debates, right? Like, I mean, this, this stuff isn't, isn't new. There's different forms to it, right? I think what's new and what's challenging and perhaps is what's more toxic is, is the social media and the ability that people now have to sort of live in bubbles where they are not exposed to different ideas or, or don't have their beliefs challenged. And I think, you know, previously you sort of, um, you might fight with one another on a way forward, but you agreed on a basic set of facts. I think at this point we sort of struggle to agree on a basic set of facts, let alone what solution might solve the problem. So um, I think that's what's changed and, and what makes this moment a little bit more unique. Um, but I do like to remind people that... Um, this stuff isn't entirely new, <laughs> not just in our country, but if you go back, you know, and, and study history, um, I think you'll find it, it, it rears its head. Um, is there anything else you wanted to hit on that? No, that was really interesting. I... Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that throughout all of maybe the political crises mm-hmm. or the topical issues, you seem to have a lot of faith in the institutions themselves. So wondering, like, what about your experience gave you that faith? What makes you keep it? Is there anybody in Washington that you're particularly looking up to right now as keeping that institutional faith? What What are your opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, um, I think our country is blessed with wonderful public servants generally, uh, often times not even at the elected level. Um, and one quick story. So I was fortunate in my old job just to travel a lot and um, we call them CODELs, Congressional Delegation Trips. And uh, my old boss is a member of the Armed Services Committee. She's a very senior member. And so we'd go visit different countries and have conversations with their military leadership about what was happening. And um, it was fascinating. But one of the cool things is you also got to engage with our State Department officials over there and see them in action. And it was always such a point of pride for me as an American to interact with these people and meet these people because they they really do represent our country so well um, and they are so capable. They are not partisan. They are professional um, and they just do such a great job. And that's not just overseas. There's tons of people that work in the halls of Congress um, that are staff that are wonderful at their jobs that are there for the right reasons and are working really hard. Now there's some bad apples in, in any mix that are just there um, to throw bombs and that's that's a reality and guess what? Guess who's going to get more headlines, right? Um, so of course that translates at the, at the elected level um, as well and I will say, you know, it's been, there has been a shift in my view uh, during my time in Washington as to the types of senators we've seen. Um, you know, we, we recently in 2022 uh, had a class retire, I think it was about eight members that retired. Um, all but one was a uh, Republican. The only Democrat was Patrick Leahy. I mean, these, these men, they were all men had, um, deck, I mean, collective centuries of experience, mm-hmm. um, and had, were such seasoned, uh, legislators, gifted legislators, knew the art of the give and take, um, but what's so cool about them is they were not shrinking violets. Like they were also fierce partisans. And that's like something that I think people have to remember is like partisanship in and of itself is not a bad thing. Like party, like believing in something and fighting for something is great. 
But, like, they also knew, okay, I can get two-thirds of what I want, and I'm going to fight for that other third a different day, right? Like, back to the whole, like, loaf thing. Like, take what you can get, take progress, and and make progress towards your goal. And they under, they had the wisdom to know when to do that, which is part of why they were successful and had tremendous legacies and legislative accomplishments. Um, unfortunately, now you're seeing some newer members, not all, but there are some newer members that have come to the Senate that seem to be more interested in the performance of it all and um, media and exposure. And that's part of the job because people want you to be visible and they want you to leverage your platform and give voice to them and give voice to what you were elected to do. Um, but it's not the whole job. And so I just worry that there's not necessarily that balance as much anymore. Um, so I'd say just in terms of a concern I have, that would be a concern I have, but I would say on balance, you know, I think our institutions are strong. Um, I think our founders had tremendous wisdom in the way they, they designed things. Um, I still very much believe in our system of government, um, and our, our country. Um, and it's certainly in my view worth fighting for, um, which is why I continue to be involved in different ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, we also do live at a, a dangerous moment, right? Where, um, you know, we ought not take things for granted. Um, you know, I, when I grew up, I just always assumed this whole thing would always be around, right? Never thought differently. Um, now I don't assume that. I do think that things can change. And um, even if you look at polling and you look at people's understanding of democracy, you look at people's views generally of authoritarian behavior, um, I mean, there's some really troubling shifts. Uh, and I think people don't necessarily even understand what they're supporting necessarily. Um, and I think a big part of that is on us as engaged, informed people to... Um, you know, work with our friends and neighbors and communities to make sure that the values that we have are, are being shared and protected and passed on. Um, I don't think that's just the job of government. I think that's the job of us. And so when people say like, well, what do we do? I'm like, well, it starts at a very basic level. And to that point, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people who I respect, who, um, you know, raise this question of like the future of democracy and they're very anxious about it and ask me like, well, you know, and I'm just like, look, you know, you going on CNN is not going to do anything. Like, God bless, but that's not going to shift a single mind in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Like where people, where there still is a trust level is at the community level. It's with like faith leaders, community leaders, people, you know, local politics, local, yeah. right. And and that's not a Republican thing, that's a real life thing, right? Like you you trust people more who you interact with um, and who live where you live and understand your challenges and what your lifestyle is. Um, and so our best messengers and our best, um, you know, people to go out and preach the gospel here, right, are people in our communities at, at a more local level. And so we need to, first of all, recruit them and get them understanding you know, what's happening and, um, and have them engage and have them cultivate this in whatever setting it is. 
Um, but that's really where it starts. And that's sort of, I think, a lot of what we've lost in this country. To that end, is there a, is there a local candidate or an unsung candidate in 2023 or 2024 that gets you excited to do that work of, of give and take? Is there, is there somebody who, who, who's exciting you? At the presidential level? Um, uh, any doesn't, level, doesn't yeah. have to be any level. Yeah, I know that's I would kind of say, a tough... Well, I'll say uh, one candidate I'm excited about uh, in Michigan is Mike Rogers. Um, Mike is a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He's a former congressman. He was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Um, and he's now running for Senate. So I'm very excited about that. I think he's a, a patriot who loves this country. Um, I think he is smart. I think he is sane. <laughs> um, I think he understands um, better than just about anyone the security challenges facing this country. Um, but he also understands his state and he understands the complexities of it um, and how to be responsive to it. And so I think he is a grown up and the kind of leader um, who I'm excited to have come to Washington, come back to Washington. Um, I hosted his first, his first fundraising dinner here and um, I'm all in. So whatever I can do to help him, I'm excited about. Yeah, how do you think that politicians at the local or state level who maybe are a little wrapped up in the performance of it all should remedy that by going back to local communities? Do you think that involves local events or do you think there is a way to do that through social media? Does that need to be in person or do you think that can be done maybe local news or through other outlets in terms of recruiting or right in terms yes yeah i mean i think um you know i would use every tool at your disposal to get people engaged because you're gonna you're gonna reach different audiences different ways um i think you know that getting local leaders engaged is so important and your local leaders become your future state leaders become your future national leaders Interestingly, the man who understood that best um, is a polarizing figure, but was brilliant at it, was Karl Rove. And uh, I was an intern in an office that Karl Rove ran at the White House. And what Karl was sort of known for was growing these benches of young Republicans at the local and state level, and then raising them up to be these future candidates. And he played a long game on these, like decades long. And so that's why for many years it was pretty well established that Repub Republicans generally always had deep benches for candidates, um, Republic uh, whereas Democrats for a number of years really did not. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it doesn't just benefit the community, but there's a future value to it as well that's really important. Do you want to... I, I would love to talk about local candidates all day because I think that's such an important, important thing, but I, I'd love to hear what you have to say to young professionals interested in, in getting involved in the political space. Like if, if you have one takeaway, I know it's a general question, but if you have one takeaway from your time um, in politics, what would you tell somebody? I would say there's probably nothing cooler I'll ever have done in my life. Um, so do it. Yeah. And please do it because <laughs> we need, um, we need good people. We need smart people. We need people who genuinely love the country to engage. Um, one of the nice things about participating in this program is it's allowed me to interact with so many young people who don't just possess a lot of promise, but I think also um, really have such capacity 
to help our country move forward. And at a moment right now, that seems so frustrating and um, frightening in certain regards. It's just been heartening to see that the next generation is that's coming up really has so much to offer. Um, and so I would say, first of all, have an open mind. Um, and that the, even if you choose a path in public service, which I hope you do, um, but even if you do, it might not be the path you quite envision. Um, and the opportunities present themselves. Um, but the best way to sort of leverage those is to be prepared. In other words, to be qualified to take on a new role or a new position. Um, to have that confidence, to have that respect of your peers and colleagues, whatever that field is. Um, and to have sort of a network at your disposal that you can tap into um, as you're learning things. And just, you know, one quick example, um, I always thought I was going to be a policy person. I wanted to be a Judiciary Committee staffer. I was going to be very niche. I was going to do confirmations. Um, and I, I actually did my senior honors thesis on that, oddly enough. And then um, on the Hill, when I was early in my career, I wanted to do judiciary policy work. And um, an opportunity came up in the office. I was going to be the press secretary. And I asked if I could have the judiciary job. And my boss said, well, we want you to be the press secretary. And I said, I've never taken a journalism class. I do not know a single reporter. I don't know how to write a press release. And she said, yeah, but you can write really well and you have good judgments. So I really think you should be our press secretary. So I said, okay, well, what if I did both? Well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was a great way to be exposed to a lot, to take on a lot at a very young age. Um, but also like enter into a new field that I knew nothing about and suddenly realized I was really good at. And the rest of my career was in the communications trajectory. And that's sort of how I came up on the Hill um, prior to becoming a chief of staff. And so um, I was willing to sort of take a risk. I was young, I could. And so remember that you are young, you can take risks. Um, it's a luxury. <laughs> um, so do that. And, and just be open to the different types of things that are going to come your way. And then the other thing I would just say, and this is how we start every discussion group that I do, is my rule number one is don't be a jerk. And we're not talking about in here. I'm just talking about out there. And that's not just because I'm, it's good to be a nice person. This is a very small town. No one ever goes away. No one ever goes away. People will show up in different ways in your life, in different roles, um, that you were not anticipating. One of my former interns may be the chief of staff or the speaker of the house tomorrow, truly. So um, you just don't know where people are going to be. So it behooves you to treat people well. I think a lot of people have this idea that you need to be Machiavellian and knife people to get ahead in this town. And at least I have found that it's the total opposite, that you get much further from being kinder and generous and that's paid back to you and people remember that. Um, so don't be a jerk and you'll get pretty far. I think that's really good advice. I really appreciate all of your insight. We have, thank you so much for your time. Before we end though, we like to end all of our interviews with a lightning round. We ask you fun and just a couple of easy questions. Uh -oh. um, so first to start it off, I wanted to ask what 
has been the biggest change in Georgetown since you left that you noticed? That can be as trivial as the food or as big no as you want. Us. I haven't been fed. I don't know about the food. Um, I'm just shocked at all the new buildings, mm-hmm. and I'm horrified that Darnell is still there. Yeah. <laughs> we why? are as well. Wait, every, I'm sure the Darnell residents are also horrified. <laughs> it's, it's an abomination. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, next one, uh, and I admit we this is from interest from finding another Q&A where you talked about your workout routine, but what's, uh, your, what's your workout playlist? What's the go-to song? My playlist? I have the gayest playlist on the planet. <laughs> it's a bunch of like EDM '80s remixes of like pop divas. Whatever gets you much. pumped up, though. Right. It does. does, and then like there's like a, a smattering of Broadway in there. It's just it's, yeah. awful. it's a lot. Yeah. Um. Okay. Our last one. If you this one may be a little more challenging. So if you don't have a, and if nothing comes to mind, that's all right. But if you were writing for a comedy show and you had to pitch a real moment from your time oh my gosh. in Washington, do you have anything that comes to mind? What was a my funny moment? My whole life is one <laughs> show. I, there's so many I could choose. Um, I'm trying to think if she'd kill me for saying this. One of my, there have been a few, uh, the one I can probably share. Um, so as I mentioned, I traveled a lot with my old boss and um, you're in Egypt. And we'd gone to see the pyramids and it was really cool. Like they closed them down for us basically. And we were there at sunset. There were no other tourists. And, um, <laughs> um, my boss was a woman. And so she, and if you've ever climbed the pyramids, you, you go kind of up this like ramp, um, that's got slots so you don't slip down it. It's not quite a ladder, it's not quite steps, um, but it's quite steep and it's sort of hard to climb. And um, Ben Sass was with us and he kindly offered to carry her purse, which I appreciated. And so um, Ben was in front, then it was Deb, then it was me, because she wanted me behind in case she fell so I could catch her. And um, it's like 120 degrees and we're climbing this pyramid. And so we get to the top, and I'm a sweater, and I was just, like, soaked through my shirt and pouring. And, like, Deb Fisher does not sweat, and she's, like, always well-prepared. So you can't face those. She's always got, like, a granola bar, and, like, she's got, like, her wipes, and, like, she's good. Like, she's, like, the, like, the mom who's, right. like, got her shit together. And so she, like, pulls out this, like, nice little water, and she's, like, guzzling it, and I'm just staring at her, and I'm like, can I have some of your water? She's also not a good sharer. And there's, like, an inch left, and she just goes, Joe, at this point, it's literally all backwash. And I was like, honestly, I don't care. I just took it, and I drank it. I drank an inch of her backwash in the middle of a pyramid. That's a great story. Like, what is life? That is a great story. Well, Joe Hack, thank you so much for your time. This is a great conversation. Great. Um, really enjoyed speaking to you. Um, and that is all we have for you guys yeah. today. Thank you so thank much you. for listening. Thanks for listening to The Fly. You can find us on social media at The Fly Georgetown. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure to subscribe to The Fly and leave a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Our researchers are Kenneth Jackson, Julian Zeitlinger, Abigail Asadi, and Chase Dobson. Our communications team is Andrea Smith, Austin Culpepper, Darius Wagner, and Sarah Sferdlov. Our production team is Will Hayes and David Grice. Original theme music is composed by Aidan Ng and Bella Carlucci.
and I'm Fiona Gallagher, Managing Director of the POD. The Fly is brought to you by the Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service and is made possible by the McCourt School of Public Policy. Thanks so much for listening and fly with you soon.